So back in 2020, I, Stephen Schinder, started a podcast called Delayed Replay, recapping and reviewing the latest films. However, it got broadcast into an alternate universe, where those films got delayed and came out differently from how I was describing them. Because of how me and my guests had been describing the films, people in that other universe were saying that this was all an improvised comedy podcast, which, listening back, I can totally get why they believe that. A lot of weird stuff happened in that first year, and I even met my other self from that other universe, who pops in from time to time, for better or worse. And now, in the year 2023, this podcast continues, still recapping and reviewing movies and sometimes some other things that got delayed or cancelled in that other universe. New episode Saturdays, every other week, unless I decide otherwise for some special reason, or whatever. You are listening to Delayed Replay, Season 4. Hey everyone, just a heads up, after the recap of Furiosa, there will be a review of Barbie, you know, the new movie. It'll start with non-spoilers and then go into spoilers. So uh, the review for that starts 40 minutes, maybe a little less into this. I'll put the timestamps in the show notes. Uh, so yeah, enjoy this episode about Furiosa. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap and review movies that got delayed in that other universe but came out on time in our universe. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Schinder, and joining me to talk about Furiosa, the Mad Max uh, standalone prequel thing that came out on June 23rd, around there, like around my mom's birthday, funny enough. It is Mr. Multiverse. Uh, how are you feeling right now, sir? I am feeling in the moment. Nice. Yeah, that's always good, because if you're ever out of the moment, it's like you're outside of space and time, and it's like you don't know where you're at, you know? Yeah, that's how you end up in the back rooms. Yeah. <laughs> I just made that reference. I went, is, is back rooms still relevant on the internet? Um, I honestly don't know. Uh, someone, someone in your comments or whatever are gonna go. Well, um, actually, how you get into the back rooms is like you clip through the universe or something. I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these days it's all about threads, right? Have you heard about threads? No, I'm I'm old. Oh yeah, threads is basically Meta's answer to Twitter. You know, another app trying to be like Twitter, but with less of the problems i'm still not sure what to think of the app yeah oh that's what that is i i saw like a bunch of memes and i'm like what is this threads thing and I'm like why is it saying it's killing twitter yeah now i get it okay i've never used twitter or any of the others like mastodon or something um, yeah and there's also blue sky not to be confused with the studio that made ice age so yeah it's it's a whole thing Here's my here's my question, and I know we're going on a bit of a tangent, but like no, yeah, that's fine. Need these these little things that just give blurbs about your thoughts on something. It's like basically saying, here, 
give your thoughts on this politically uh, this politically charged question that may take years to answer and analyze. And tell us now in under five minutes and under 500 characters so we can tell you to get with a chainsaw. <laughs> well, well, I mean, so far, like what little I've seen of threads, uh, personally on my feed, I haven't seen much political stuff. But I'm wondering if that's just because of how relatively new it is. I'm kind of waiting to see, like, how much time it'll take for it to become, I, like, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling it out, seeing if it does become as close to problematic as, like, other sites become, so I guess we'll see, and I may or may not jump ship, I'm kind of feeling it out, if that makes sense. You're basically do pulling a uh, pulling a Sweden and being the neutral party. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Alright, cool, cool. Alright, so, what were we doing? Oh yeah, Furia. Oh yeah, so, so to begin, uh, what, what are your experiences with the Mad Max movies? And then I'll briefly go over mine. Um, I absolutely love the movies. I think they're some of the, I think, I think they're, so, when people say, like, major franchises, it, it kind of bothers me that Mad Max isn't brought in. Um, because George Miller, I think, is a very... Uh, passionate as well as very underrated director. I mean, the dude went from Mad Max to Happy Feet. Figure that out. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, for those who don't know, he made the tap dancing penguin movie. The same guy who went, witness me. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is I actually enjoyed Happy Feet and its sequel back in the day. Um, my first exposure to George Miller was actually the Babe movies, you know, with the pig, and I loved the, especially the first one. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing you made Babe too. Um, but no, uh, Mad Max is a. I think they're very beautiful, very action as well as art piece movies, and it's always an aesthetic that people try to emulate but just can't seem to get. Um, my personal favorite, and I know this is kind of uh, this is kind of generic, but it is the Road Warrior. It's such a good movie. Um, yeah, the second it one. Always, like it, it, it's weird too because, like in my mind, I always teeter between Fury Road and the Road Warrior as my favorite Mad Max films. Yeah, for me, so I remember watching the first two on TV, one of the like three hundred something channels um, back in the early twenty tens. And I, I think it was on one of those channels. But anyway, I kind of wasn't connecting with them. But a few years later, uh, like in 2016 or something, I tried re-watching them. And I was still not really connecting with them. I was kind of bored, to be honest. But then I watched the third one, Beyond Thunderdome. And I know that's like generally considered like the worst one of that original a trilogy or whatever but i was paying more attention to the stuff going on like the pacing felt better for me um and then fury road i really really liked even though there is that thing of like oh they go one direction and then go back the same direction which is kind of silly but i thought it was a really well-made film that fourth one yeah so um i'm curious like what did you think of this particular movie um, since you had such a positive view on Fury Road, did did this help or taint your view? So when Furioso was announced, uh, I was under the impression that it would be a sequel, and I thought Charlize Theron was is a great actress. Um, you know she's 
Now, funny enough, the first thing I ever saw her in was the trailer for Mighty Joe Young, the 1998 version, which would be on the Lion King 2 VHS. But Not the movie, the trailer. <laughs> right, yeah, and I just recently, like, within these last couple months, finally got around to seeing the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I thought she did a great job as Furiosa, so I was looking forward to seeing more of her in that role. And then they announced that this would be a prequel, and I was like, wait, what? But then they said it would be Anya Taylor-Joy, and I thought she did a good job in The Menu, and I was a little bit less excited to go into this one, but I was still willing to give it its fair shake. What about you? Um, I'm like you, I thought it was going to be like a sequel or a spinoff film. Um, and I think that was the original idea at first that that was going to be what it was, was going to be like starring Charlie Theron. But I, I read somewhere that it got changed midway through to be a, a prequel film. And I, and at first I was like, oh, that's disappointing. And yeah. then they announced all the actors coming into the film. I was like, okay, this is a lot better. And George Miller is back on. So I had a lot more hope for it. Yeah, like, they announced Chris Hemsworth, and it's like, oh, well, he's in this movie, so... Also, side note, I preferred Tom Hardy in the Mad Max role. I forgot to mention that earlier, because, you know, Mel Gibson is big, yikes, and, but, but I think even in an acting perspective, I feel like Tom Hardy, like, for whatever reason, I was more interested in seeing his take on that role, if that makes sense. Yeah. But getting back to Furiosa, so... We start with her in the um, in the green place of many mothers. You know, they give us a good look at this place and what it was like. But then she gets taken into the biker horde, which is led by Lord Dementis. So what did you think of this opening sequence? I think it's a great way to kind of show the green place what it was beforehand. And it's kind of somber, too, because when you look at the landscape, it's green. But, like you do see like craters from like missiles falling and um, you do see like tanks overgrown. Um, you do see like, it's kind of haunting that something beautiful came out of just this carnage. And yeah, I, I liked it. I think uh, getting to see what they were trying to get to in, in Fury Road was, it does show that, Oh, now I see why they were so gung ho about it Cause it's beautiful in its own like twisted way. But then when, you know, <laughs> Lord Dementis and his and his crew show up, it's a massacre. Yeah, it gets really violent here. And, uh, you know, since Furiosa wants to, like, keep a memory of this place, she keeps on having to hide this vase that has a plant from this place. It looked like a succulent, but I was never quite sure what it was. I feel like the camera was very often out of focus whenever it showed the plant and i don't know if that was intentional so it could be whatever you want it to be but it kind of annoyed me not gonna lie yeah i will say that having chris hemsworth as the villain lord tementis like it's kind of a nice a nice change for him you know yeah like there is a little nod to his role as thor where he picks up a hammer and like it, like it's a sledgehammer but he uses it more violently than you'd expect like he bludgeons someone's head it's basically like playing a, a video game you know like it's he's very violent with it it's like whoa this is 
what what the edge lords want Thor to be, you know. You know, I'm gonna say it, and this is gonna be this is gonna be weird. I would not be opposed, and I never thought I'd say this, but I wouldn't be opposed to Chris Hemsworth playing Lobo in the new DC Universe movies. Oh, like instead of Jason Momoa. Yeah, because for some reason, like I was watching him as Dementus, and I'm like, dude, he's just Lobo. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was like, dude, grow your hair out more, dye it black, and put some makeup on. I think he, I would actually not be opposed to it. Yeah, like there's only been like one live action Lobo so far. The one who was in that Krypton TV show. Um, it was like a Scottish actor, and I thought he was all right, but. I feel like they could have gone further with a character, I guess. So Chris Hemsworth as Lobo would be very interesting. Uh, James Gunn, hope you're listening. Oh, yeah, totally. A gun, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What I also like about the villain of Lord Dementis is that there's kind of like, while he does like this like sick, just brutal things that it's nice to see, again, Hemsworth really kills, like no pun intended, kills it as a villain. Like, I think it's that's kind of not, and neat that, like, he gets to be, like, shown that he's not the, just the love interest or the pretty boy superhero. Here he gets to be, I'm going to just destroy you as a human being, both, like, with my, vi- with, like, my hammer and also my words. Because he just, one scene, cuts this poor woman down to the point where she just blows her own brains out. And I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, and I think to hammer home, uh, pun intended, that this isn't Thor, they make sure to not give him any shirtless scenes in this one. Which is something I didn't really think about until someone like put it out to me afterward, and I'm like, oh yeah, he didn't have any shirtless scenes. Yeah. Um, some of the other characters, there's uh, someone named called The Organic Mechanic, played by Angus Sampson. And the reason that he's called The Organic Mechanic is that he uses like organs and bones to create these vehicles it very feels very much texas chainsaw massacre did you kind of get those vibes i i was thinking more hellraiser oh yeah that too it is very gross i'm like how much like if this is the r-rated version i want to see the uncut version <laughs> right <laughs> did you, I, I forget did you ever see the new hellraiser i did i actually liked it Oh, I thought it was okay, but I'm also not a, a Hellraiser super fan, so I, but I do think it's the better of the sequels post Hellraiser 2, which I think is the general consensus anyway. Yeah, I think it is. Well, I personally like Hellraiser 3 because it's just so stupid. I love it. <laughs> um, so of the sequels past three for me, it's definitely like one of the best and I watched this with my girlfriend, who is a Hellraiser super fan, and she absolutely adored it. Um, okay. Like, oh yeah, we're doing Furiosa. We're not doing Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, they are raising hell in this movie, so it's kind of related. Well, it is. It is kind of funny because one of Dementis's weapons is like a chain with a hook at the end, and that also not me. That made me did think make me think of Lobo, but you could see the Hellraiser connection. Right. Yeah. And we also have uh, Nathan Jones as Rictus Erectus, who got his nickname because he loves eating bananas, which is such a strange trait for a character in this sort of gang 
to have, but uh, he even, like, when they're driving around, he even does a thing like throwing a banana peel to make other vehicles uh, slip and crash, which felt very Mario Kart to me. And I admit, that kind of took me out of the movie for a moment. Yeah, it did. It felt like, oh, what the hell is this? Like, But then there's another scene where he, like, Rictus is, like, uh, tosses a banana, and it's it's actually, like, an explosive, and it just blows up another car. Yeah, that, that was actually really cool. <laughs> uh, I also like how, like, Rictus is treated like the uh, envoy for his father, and he's, like, because they say, like, Dementis is, like, the up-and-coming, like, I'm in, I'm in your father's land, and I'm here to take it for myself, because... Like, Dementis has this whole game of, I am, I'm trying to, I'm done with the whole nomadic life, I want to be a conqueror, because he's, like, obsessed with, like, Genghis Khan and Vlad the Impaler, and he's like, all of them had land, they, they didn't stay, like, they all, they didn't wander, they were conquerors, and it's high time, and he even, like, points out, like, I've traveled from one end to the other, and you know what I've seen? The ocean. I, I realize that we're on one big island. So, yeah, this basically confirms this is Austra- what's left of Australia. Yeah, which is something I always assumed anyway, but it's nice to get that on-screen confirmation, you know? Yeah. I do like that Furiosa, um, she is, like, she is... She does have agency in this movie, don't get me wrong. We have talked a lot about Dementis because he is an interesting villain. But Furiosa has some great scenes too, like when she, um, she how she kills the organic mechanic and then puts his head on one of the bikes he makes. I also especially love that the head, like she puts it over the head, the head over the headlight, and it flashes. So it's like, oh, I get it, headlight. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very gory movie. Like this is the goriest I've seen of a Mad Max film. Yeah, like, it almost feels like a daylight horror movie, you know? Like, it's in the desert, and it's very sunny, but you still get, like, all this gore and these bone aesthetic choices, and it's... I I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a Texas Chainsaw fan, but I was really digging the visual aesthetic of this one. Absolutely. Um, I would not be opposed to Miller doing a Texas Chainsaw movie. Oh, that would actually be probably good. I, I mean, the bar is so low, so, like, <laughs> like why not? You might as well. <laughs> I mean, like, I think he's the closest who would get Cooper's aesthetic, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we are probably getting ahead of ourselves. Like, should probably save it for, like, the Texas Chainsaw Requalizer episode, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, shameless plug. That's Requalizers is my Patreon-exclusive show where... I have guest stars, mainly Steven, um, <laughs> uh, do and talk about like requel movie ideas. And uh, Texas Chainsaw is one we've been meaning to, to get around to. Yeah, I mean, August of this year is 50 years after when the original movie was set. So there's that hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, <laughs> that's that's perfect. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, we also have Daniel Weber as Warboy. Um, what did you think of that character? I thought he was kind of a um, a neat character and how he connects with Furiosa in that he's not he is Warboy, but there's like a soft side to him where he's like I don't like I'm called Warboy as like kind of a joke because like I hate violence, but I'll do it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought that was a neat touch, because when characters have names like that, you expect them to either... Either the name fits them really well, or they're trying too hard to be like that name, sort of trying to be cool like that, but... No, this is like, oh, he does it reluctantly, and it's sort of thrust upon him, and he doesn't like it very much. Yeah. Um... I, I personally really like that and how he connects with Furiosa and like kind of confines in her like um, he's kind of treated like the joke to Dementis um, so it's kind of nice that he gets to bef- his, him her, him and uh, Furiosa have like those bonding moments but at the same time you're like you still helped in massacring everyone in her home dude yeah like there are some very interesting conversations like that and like getting back to Furiosa herself like after seeing this movie does it feel believable that Anya Taylor-Joy grows up to be Charlie's Theron? (sighs) Anya Taylor-Joy is a great actress she is a a fantastic actress but for some reason the whole film I'm like you're really good but I just can't see you growing up to be Charlie's Theron yeah, I was having that disconnect as well. I think, I think the reason is because like they make her a little too meek for too long. It's not till the third act where you get to see that Furiosa. Yeah, and they do try to like sort of connect by, you know, connect the two portrayals by showing how she lost her arm, you know, doing the thing where the prequel has to explain the thing. Like, what'd you think of that scene where she loses her arm? Yeah, that's a it's a brutal scene where she's standing up to Dementis and like um, trying to fight him, and he's just like, "Oh, so we're gonna do this now? We're gonna we're gonna you know be tough now? We're gonna be you know ooh the last child of the green place fighting for her home? I I almost respect that." And then he just takes a machete, just lob, lobs off her arm, and goes almost. It feels like such a prequel thing because it explains maybe too much. But I'll take it over how Fury's eye scar is explained in Captain Marvel, you know? Yeah, I don't need a... Fun fact, uh, film uh, film people, I don't need every prequel movie to explain everything. <laughs> yeah, throwback to when X-Men Apocalypse explained why Professor X is bald. <laughs> yeah, I, the only one where I felt like it was needed, where you need to explain everything, was the 2011 Thing prequel. Oh, yeah, because it's, like, set right before. Yeah, that's the only time I'm like, okay, now you, you could, it's okay, you can explain everything. Yeah, I remember liking that one, but then when I rewatched it um, within the past year, maybe it was a year ago, the CGI did not hold up very well. Like, I think it would have looked better if they'd, and I know this is, like, a cliche old man film person to, thing to say, but like, more practical effects, and it would have held up better visually, The that prequel. They did, have, they did shoot scenes of practical effects done by Stan Winston Studios, but the problem was is that the studio, Universal, was like, we gotta get, we, we, they jumped the timetable to premiere the movie, so they are just like, let's just do CGI, because this is taking too long, and the, it was worse off for it. Oh, damn, I didn't even know that. <laughs> that explains so much. It does, like, it hurts even more when you know they did scenes of practical effects, and then they just got canned. Damn. Yeah, devastating. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what were some of the other action sequences in Furiosa that you um that sort of caught your attention? Well, the opening siege of, of the Green Place was pretty was probably one of the most brutal invasions, but you do see that the mothers like fight back and kill a lot of the gang. We'll talk about this more, but Junkie XL's music in here? Oh, good, so good. I was afraid he was starting to lack because like his soundtrack for Godzilla vs. Kong was eh. And I was like, are, are you just one note, Mr. XL? Because I like some of, I didn't like all of his music for Superman, Batman v Superman and Godzilla vs. Kong was just kind of weak. So I was afraid when he was coming back, I was like, are you just one note? And by one note, I... Yeah, I thought his music for Zack Snyder's Justice League was pretty good, at least. It, it, I think it's. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I still think his best work is Fury Road. And thankfully, it's like he realized, oh, yeah, I'm on a Mad Max film. Better give my f***ing A game. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I think the music was the biggest highlight for me with Furiosa. Like, even when this, I was sort of scratching my head at certain things in the story, like, the music just always excelled. <laughs> uh, you're funny. Wait, why? Why? What I do? <laughs> you said excelled. Uh, can you explain that to me? This might be unintentional. <laughs> the junkie XL. Oh sh! <laughs> oh my gosh! How <laughs> do you didn't even realize it? No, yeah, I totally like. Okay, yeah, that's those are some of the best times when you make a pun and don't realize it, and you're like, oh shit, it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Junkie XL uh, said it's Excel in time and excelled all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that still a funny meme? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's probably not funny anymore, but people still do it. I don't know. But yeah, the um, another scene was the battle between um, Rick Dix and his crew um, taking on Dementuses in a road race. That that scene was very intense. I love the tracking shot of when there's this huge crash and it's just one it, I really hope this was one take because it looked like one take of just this huge crash and you're just going through like cars as this as it's as the crash is going on yeah it looked really amazing like the effects and like there was never a sequence where I was like this does not look real at all so like that's another positive that this movie had going for it totally um, there's even like some good if you want to talk about action scenes there's good like off car fight scenes like when Fu that final fight between Furiosa and uh, where she teams up with Rictus because Rictus throughout the film is like trying to convince her to be like you can join you know my father in his kingdom and you will be safe you'll have like water and stuff and he's like really hyping it up but yeah when the two of them team up to take on Dementis it's a pretty brutal final fight yeah like they use like, they even use swords in this fight, which is something you don't really, or I don't really picture automatically when I think of, like, post-apocalyptic genre. So... Yeah. It's almost like, in the armor that Furiosa wears, is almost like a Valkyrie. I think that's what Miller was trying to do. Oh, yeah, like Valkyrie from Thor movies. <laughs> like actual Greek mythology. But no, whatever. no, yeah, but yeah, this fight was really cool. The music was 
on point. Like, there are lots of drums and, like, some really cool themes. Like, the team-up, you know, Captain Dementis for a while was actually really able to hold his own against these two, you know, really cementing how threatening as a villain he is, like, before we sort of see the end of this story. There's just this level of sheer brutality, and again, like, had Furiosa been this kind of more the Furiosa we know, I feel like I would have been more okay with Anya, who does give her all, don't get me wrong. Um, But here, it's just like, I feel like you should be more aggressive in this situation. Yeah, I almost kind of wish we could have gotten this movie before Fury Road, but then maybe some things would have been different, I don't know. But anyway, what'd you think of the end of this fight and how it sort of sets up the future as we see it in Fury Road? I think the fight was pretty good. Um, I do. I, it is. It does feel like a little mean-spirited at the end where it's like, it feels like a total fu when it's revealed that she and the other, like she's just she's been tricked by Erectus to be another just slave girl for for his dad. Since this takes place before Fury Road, it's like there's a certain trajectory it has to go, and you can't have like a complete victory since we know what the later victory actually is. So. Again, I wish that there was a way we could have had this before, like, come out before Fury Road. But then I don't know, like, how much, how high the audience turnout would have been if it was about this character people had never heard of before, you know? Yeah. Plus, like, it would be kind of, like, it would be kind of fun, though, to reveal, oh, it's a Mad Max movie all along. Oh, yeah, like a stealth prequel type of thing, yeah. Yeah, like so far the only one who's done I feel like the only one that's done that right was Split. Yeah, like what's kind of unfortunate though is how because of Glass and the marketing for that, that twist for Split is kind of like not even a secret anymore. So yeah. Like I haven't even seen Split or Glass yet because I've I've been meaning to, but I also thought Unbreakable was kinda of boring, but I, I do intend to watch split at some point but yeah like it wasn't until my friends dylan and keon when they talked about that trilogy on their podcast triple play um i listened to that episode like a month ago or something and they mentioned that it's a twist that it's a stealth uh stealthily connected to these other movies and it didn't even occur to me that that's a twist because i the last few years I've grown so used to like the fact knowing that it's connected to those movies you know I think that's the thing is that it's a um I th- yeah the audience turnout I think would have been a li- would I think I hate to say it but honestly I feel like it wouldn't have been an as great I feel like you know every dude bro would have been like oh it's another female super another female led character it's gonna bomb and i'm gonna put i'm gonna make my video with a red eye flashing from my person and like hollywood is dying or something hey those people if you haven't noticed yeah uh, and um one of the youtubers i follow uh, a star wars youtuber named hello greedo he he points out how ridiculous that stuff is and he made a video where i think the thumbnail says if you put red eyes and uh, something angry, you'll get clicks. So, you know, pointing fun at, like, 
those stupid dude bros who do that. So I feel like it would have, I'm not saying it would have suffered because of them. I'm just saying like, actually, I'm not saying it would have suffered at all. I just feel like the problem with today is that it's IP, you know, the market is very IP driven. So I feel like you'd have to say this is in the Mad Max universe during promotion if you put this before Fury Road. Yeah, like the trailers for this uh, kept saying from the from the world of Mad Max comes Furiosa. And then like people on the internet kept commenting, oh wow, this new Fast and Furious looks great. So really stupid. <laughs> I, I hate people, I really do. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think we've covered everything, man. Yeah, so what are your final thoughts on Furiosa, and what's your score out of 10 and unit of measurement for that score? Well, I will say Anya Taylor-Joy isn't convincing as Furio- as a Furiosa I would watch. I still watch this movie. I think she does care. I think she's still great on her own. I think that this movie has some great set pieces. This makes me feel like I'm back in the Mad Max universe. Um, the music is great. Um, does it lag in the second act just a wee bit but it kicks right back in Um, all in all like um, 8 banana peels out of 10 yeah I think I'm gonna go slightly lower I feel like this was like a 7.5 out of 10 uh, hammer like sledgehammers uh, with gore at the tip Um, like it's really well shot the story has some interesting things but I think I do prefer Fury Road over this, and like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of the first couple of Mad Max movies, but I feel like these newer ones have done a great job conveying that world, and I like that George Miller took some time to, like, to make this one. You know, this came out eight years after Fury Road, so it wasn't like a rush job you know like with the thing prequel like we mentioned earlier so in saying that like this came out x amount years after the last film i'm like i just feel really old now no yeah me too <laughs> all right so i guess that'll do it thanks for joining me mr multiverse where can people follow you online uh they can find me on mr multiverse uh on youtube i have a patreon as well i all of the same name I also have two short stories written called Duel of the Monsters. Um, go check those books out if you want to watch uh, cryptids kick it out of each other. And uh, yeah, there you go. Nice. And I'll include my plugs in the edit at, like I usually do. All right. So regarding the back rooms thing that Mr. Multiverse referenced, I looked it up. It is sort of an internet meme and i do recall seeing mention of that in this group called a group where we all pretend to work at the same office or in the same office whichever it is uh so i'll link that in the show notes the explanation i guess and as far as stealth prequels go there is another one i remembered after the fact which i won't say what it is in case people want to be surprised but it is something that's been talked about on the show before but anyway as far as my plugs uh at steven schinder on instagram and twitter and 
I guess, threads, although it kind of looks like threads is dying, or at least it feels that way just a couple weeks in. Um, the So many corporate accounts or verified accounts uh, in the feed, it, it's a piece of work. Uh, so also Steven Schindler storytelling on Facebook, go stevenschindler.com. The website still needs to be updated. That's in the works though. Uh, go to, um, you can find my book, uh, Lemons of Mike Rain on Amazon. And, uh, the next one should be out sometime soon. So... Uh, what else do I mention here? Uh, I'm on Goodreads, Letterboxd, if you want to see my reviews on some movies in text form. Um, I actually, on Goodreads, reviewed Star Wars Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. I was really glued to it, and for half of it, it felt like it was going to be a five-star review, but then ended up being a four-star. I, I go into that in the review sort of the reasoning behind it and yeah you can email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com for feedback and responses and whatnot might be read on the show let us know your thoughts on chris hemsworth um who else should he play in anything I don't know. Check out Yes Shift, the podcast and vlog that I do with my dad. We recently did a second anniversary show and did a collaboration with the Yes Tribute Band Total Mass Retain. Uh, also reviewed Trevor Horn's autobiography, Adventures in Modern Recording. And there should be uh, an interview with Dave Cousins of Straubs the day that this comes out and i don't think the triple play finale that i was on is out yet still but the question possible answer episode that i was on uh, covering everything everywhere all at once and some other multiverse stuff is in fact up so uh look for that in the show notes and yeah But yeah, past me, we'll do the sign-off as we cut back to that. And then you'll get a review of the Barbie movie. I'm not quite sure if there will be a review of something else that's new at the end of the next episode. Uh, Which, I mean, the next episode will be on the We're the Millers sequel titled We're Still the Millers, which came out in this universe, but not that other universe. Uh, So yeah, going from George Miller to We're Still the Millers, as it happens. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, Okay, back to the sign-off and then the Barbie review. And thanks everyone for listening, and without further delay, have a good day. Hi everyone, this is Steven from that other universe. Uh, Even though Barbie sounds like it's the same in both universes, um, it's me coming on here just so I have something to do, I guess. Uh, You've heard 
enough of delayed replays, Stephen. Uh, just kidding, delayed replays, Stephen. So the Barbenheimer double feature. Now, off the top of my head, as far as theatrical double features go, I remember doing that for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and everything everywhere all at once, back to back in that order. Uh, in that case, the Multiverse of Madness felt subpar to me and then uh everything everywhere at once blew my mind and i still love it uh you can listen to the question possible answer episode i guessed it on where we talked about it um i've even done a triple feature back in 2021 almost two years ago yeah that that double feature was a year ago but the triple feature two years ago was Free Guy, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Candyman, the 2021 uh, installment. And those were all incredible. Um, Barbie, I guess, could be compared to Free Guy and I guess the Lego movie. It does touch on existential themes. Also has some meta jokes, which, which can be hit and miss, but... Anyway, as far as Barbenheimer goes, I didn't see Oppenheimer, but I was open to seeing Barbie. Uh, see what I did there? Uh, Oppenheimer, just, it's three hours long, and I don't have that much time, so I couldn't do the double feature. Um, I'll see it probably when it hits max, uh, but... Barbie, I was open to that movie, uh, seeing it with my friends. I, I was wearing my pink coat, my blue uh, shirt, which has buttons on it and pink flowers and matching blue jeans. And so I was very open to this movie. But yeah, I saw the Barbie movie with a couple friends. Uh, it's been less than a day, so... Thoughts are still kind of fresh, and I'm still kind of thinking it over, but this is basically a non-spoiler thoughts first. So, the movie, I was looking forward to a fun movie, the marketing looked good, and then as I sat down and watched it all the way through, I wasn't laughing as much as I was expecting. And toward the end, I kind of felt that it was maybe a tad long. It's almost two hours long, but maybe it could have been an hour and a half. Um, I'd be curious about whether an hour and a half may have felt better paced or if it would have felt too short. Who knows? But yeah, the movie, you know, well cast, uh, good performances, there are messages that needed to be said and need to be discussed. You know, it's very anti-patriarchy as it, I was not surprised. I kind of expected this. It looked like the movie was going to uh, convey some sort of message like this and I was all for it. Uh, I just wasn't sure if the movie conveyed it in quite the best way you know yes the terrible things by the patriarchy and toxic masculinity need to be called out 
And if anything, I like that this movie is sparking that discussion. I know some people aren't going to really enjoy how how explicit, it, not in terms of cursing, but how explicit the discussion is. Like, it doesn't hold back. It's very upfront about what it's trying to do. But the movie also felt weird because, you know, Mattel had to approve this movie, right? Like, when Warner Brothers was making it. And they convey uh, the whole thing as, like, Barbie is a feminist icon or so she thinks. And then uh, there's this question of whether she is a feminist icon. Like, you get the reverse... Um, what's it called? The reverse perspective of that. So it's kind of goes back and forth about what Barbie really means. And it feels weird that Mattel is involved with it. It's it's almost like they're saying, yeah, we were problematic, but look at us now. Or or maybe like, it's weird because Mattel itself is depicted in the movie as still being problematic in the present again I don't know the whole history of Mattel and all the stuff but uh if like the movie it, it felt weird it, it was like how do I explain this it's kind of like if that movie the founder which goes into the um, I guess you could say unethical things done by Ray Kroc over the course of the history of McDonald's. It'd be like if McDonald's itself, um, if the founder was made in association with the restaurant, which I don't think it was to my knowledge. Um, a really eye-opening film, that movie. But also, like, there's sort of a line that's like anti-capitalist in the movie and it's hard to take seriously because you know it's a barbie movie and you know there's the toy company the film industry like there is capitalism involved in all of that and so like throughout this movie i felt very aware of how contradictory or ironic all of this felt and again like there is there was stuff that needed to be said and the movie was trying to say it but I don't know if the approach was done the best way it felt kind of middle of the road um although like, among my friends, uh, I saw this with a couple of friends. They really loved it f- from the sound of it, and I was the only one who thought it was just okay. And I was the only guy in the group, so it, I felt ki- kind of bad that, you know, I'm the only guy in the group and I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh, this is a movie that I'm willing to give another shot. Um, I was definitely, I had a lot on my mind so going in uh, unrelated to the movie, so maybe that 
affected my mood while watching, perhaps, uh, that very well could affect one's experience with a movie. So I'm willing to give it another shot, just not in the theater. I'm going to wait until I can stream it on Max or wherever it uh, they put it on. Uh, it, it should be Max because it's Warner Brothers. So, yeah, I have a few other th- thoughts, but I guess we'll get into... Uh, well, I'll give my rating and then we'll go into spoiler territory. So right now, my rating, I'm feeling like it's a 6.5 out of 10. Um, what do I want my unit of measurement to be? Um, dream houses. You know, it it had some good ideas, but there were some things that felt really cringe to watch. Um, and, you know, people who know me very well uh, know that I'm not, this is so stupid to say, but, uh, like, I feel like people who don't know me very well might have raised an eyebrow about me being the only one out of, the only guy out of my friends that I went with who uh, didn't like the movie, Uh from what I can see, some other f- people that I know uh, seem to have enjoyed the film like a lot. Uh, I don't think they're exaggerating, but yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe Barbie is one of the most overhyped movies. Um, although it doesn't seem to be having the Phantom Menace effect, but yeah, like Barbie and Oppenheimer, that whole Barbenheimer thing, I think that alone hyped both movies up a lot so I kind of wonder if they're both uh, well for all I know Oppenheimer can be really good and I just don't know it I just didn't I don't really have the energy to go to the theater to see Oppenheimer Uh, maybe the sound mixing is better than Tenet maybe it's a well-made story maybe it tells a history very well. I, I don't know. I'm going to watch it at some point, but again, maybe when it's on max. So, uh, yeah, right now I'm feeling it's a 6.5 for Barbie, but I'm open to giving it another shot sometime down the line. Um, and yeah, I'm curious, you know, this is opening weekend and I'm really curious what more people are going to say about the movie uh there there's a twist uh, i i don't know if that everyone will like but uh, also there's like a line that uh might rub certain fans of a certain piece of media the wrong way so i'll start with that line as i go into the spoiler territory right now so the line basically is something along the lines of I feel like I woke up from a dream where I was obsessed with Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. And that kind of made me raise an eyebrow because it's weird that they reference... Like, so in the moment, I was thinking, wait, is Warner Brothers basically saying or admitting that 
they don't like Zack Snyder, or is this just a reference to the Edge Lord Snyder Cut fans who sent threats? You know, the toxic fans. Um, and you know, I consider myself a fan of Zack Snyder's Justice League, as you heard earlier in this Furiosa episode. Um, I, I was someone who didn't care about it because beforehand because I really didn't like Batman versus Superman. And then I was blown away by the Snyder Cut. Yeah, so I feel like the line is definitely going to rub some people the wrong way. I can already see it happening as I looked up. There's an article on Collider where the director and co-writer Greta Gerwig uh, said that she had a surface level. uh, Well, she didn't say surface level, but something along those lines like she had somewhat of an awareness of the Snyderverse and its movement I guess um I'll link the article in the show notes but basically it's it sounds like the joke wasn't super thought out so maybe people are overthinking it I I certainly think I was overthinking it in the moment and it's probably more likely uh poking fun at the toxic fans because this barbie movie is all about uh bringing up the problem of toxic masculinity so uh, but it just felt again like it's a legit problem but it felt weird that Zack snyder's name and like his cut is mentioned at all in this Warner Brothers movie. Um yeah, I I don't know. Like there there are some really weird things about this movie. It, it, in a way it kind of feels like a delayed replay universe movie and that that has some pros and cons to it that statement, but I guess I should get into the twist. So, you know, I'm not super no I'm not like a Barbie super fan I have a broad awareness of the lore I guess you could call it because uh, you know of course Barbie and Ken were in Toy Story 3 so that's basically where some of my knowledge comes from and obviously like the commercials I would come up uh, as I was growing up uh, but I I was really surprised that Ken, like, after he goes into the real world and finds out about the patriarchy, that the movie decided to make Ken and all the other Kens in Barbie Land uh, very, like, dude bros. And I could see how that might rub people the wrong way, that all of them become dude bros. Uh, you know, Alan, uh, Michael Sarah's character is like the the one who doesn't get caught up in that. And, you know, when Barbie Land becomes Ken Land or whatever, it, you know, Dude Bro Land, uh, the Barbies themselves lose agency for a bit. They're kind of hip. It feels it's kind of like they're hypnotized, like once the patriarchy has taken over. Barbie land and I was like really surprised that Ryan Gosling's Ken became the villain 
of this. I thought Will Ferrell, the Mattel guy, was going to be the only villain here, but making Ken the villain and, like, I, I'm really wondering if, like, how Barbie fans who are, like, super diehard feel about this because the impression I got from Ken or is what he's supposed to be is, like, an actual legit good guy, not, like, a nice guy with air quotes around it where he feels entitled to have Barbie and be with Barbie but I guess I don't know I, I'm like thinking back to Toy Story 3 now and Ken was associated with the villain in that Lotso for a bit before uh, Ken got redeemed toward the end so there's definitely a precedent for this now that I think about it but it was really surprising still that Ken goes like super toxic masculinity in this and at the end after Barbie Land has been won back uh, Ken is forgiven by Barbie and I'm I was legit surprised that she forgave you know she does point out the problems that he has like being entitled and whatnot and he sees his problems as well and I, I was kind of going back and forth on whether uh, this act of forgiveness should have happened or or maybe whether it was believable. Like, I'm not sure that this would have happened in this situation. But again, it's also Barbie Land. Um, and I know that in Barbie Land, things are exaggerated. So maybe people can use that as... Uh, a defense for why the dude bros thing like every guy every Ken becoming a dude bro makes a lot of sense but I don't know even if the reasoning is sound and again I'm still thinking this movie over um and uh, like even if it's written well and even if the intentions are good just as a movie, like, watching it from start to finish, I didn't feel as entertained as I was feeling or hoping to feel. And that, uh, I know people say you shouldn't have expectations before going into movies. And you know what? That That's stupid. Like, of course, people are going to have at least a little bit of expectations. And for this movie, I didn't have a lot of expectations on what the plot would be. It... I had maybe, like, surface-level basic expectations, um, and I had a feeling that the movie would point out some of the problems in our world, as it should, but the overall execution and just how it felt watching the movie, like, it's definitely resonating with people, but I just wasn't having as much fun and I feel like I've pretty much exhausted everything that I've uh, needed to say about this you know I'm not against this film I don't think it's garbage I'm not one of those people I think it has some interesting things um, just how it like the overall whole of it just didn't quite click with me as a movie 
and again i'm gonna give it another shot sometime later down the line and see if things are different you know i've had more time to think about it my state of mind will be different and uh we'll see how that is uh whether i talk about that on the show is anyone's guess um because who knows when that'll be uh if anything maybe like a little tangent at some point if I can remember but yeah like I do want to revisit this at some point just not in the theater uh so yeah I guess that'll do it again 6.5 out of 10 right now but I'm open to the rating perhaps changing in the future uh we'll see how it comes across on a later viewing so uh hopefully you're still listening and uh, I know at times it sounded like I was being apologetic in reviewing this movie, but hey, I'm open to hearing you all out. And you know, for all I know, this movie, it could be the best written movie ever. You know, the dialogue and the story, but the way it's presented like could still maybe not click with me like and that that's happened with some movies you know there are some movies that are said to be like the best movies ever and then I watch them and they're just not sticking with me and I'm feeling antsy and kind of want to do something else you know that happens and if yeah like this Barbie movie was it was an interesting experience. It makes me reflect a bit. Like, what did I like? What did I not like? I guess you could say that about any movie. But, yeah, I think this movie was necessary. Definitely to spark some discussion. Uh, whether people like it more or like it less. So, very curious to see what the discussion ends up being as people talk about it more and more on the internet and in real life i guess so that's it for now uh come back in two weeks for the next delayed replay episode we'll see if i give a review at the end of that one i know uh teenage mutant ninja turtles me to mayhem is coming out and then blue beetle uh i think sometime later in in the month uh, in august and i actually made a joke i was like malibu bar beetle so do with that what you will uh photoshop users uh so yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what the next uh review at the end of another episode ends up being so without further delay have a good day